Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. This is the 38th sermon tonight uh, and the final one in our series on Revelation. And I approach this with a mixture of sadness in that it's coming to a close, but also a sense of relief in that we have looked at so many things as God has given us a prophecy of what is going to happen in future days and as we have seen that. And I pray you have gleaned some knowledge, not just of the future and end times, but also of how we are to be ministers in this present day. Uh, I pray that as you have been with me through this study of Revelation, that we have a deeper thanksgiving for being saved. Uh, we know that the future for the unsaved is very bleak, uh, very sad, but we need to be thankful before God that he has given us his grace through Jesus Christ. Also, I pray that as we have seen what is going to happen to the unsaved, that we have a deeper commitment and a deeper passion to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who need him uh, in a way of salvation. So we want to pray that God will continue to implant these seeds of this study of revelation in our hearts and that it will bear much fruit in you and me in thankfulness and in commitment in days ahead as we live as ministers of the gospel. Now tonight we open the last chapter. This is chapter 22. We're going to look at it as a whole chapter. And we see the end of Revelation setting forth the blessings of God upon the saved. And that's on your sheet. The blessings of God upon the saved. That's what chapter 22 is about. Now, over the course of our study, we have examined the Apostle John's words regarding his vision of the risen, reigning, saving, judging Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We see his revelation in chapter 1. I, I remind you one last time that the book Revelation does not have an S on the end of it. There are not many revelations. There's one revelation, and it is the unveiling, the revealing of Jesus, the Son of God, and also the judge of the world. Also, as we looked at chapters 2 and 3, we see seven letters to seven churches in Asia Minor, and they address each church uh, with uh, many com condemnations and also commendations. Uh, and also, I do believe that as we look at those seven letters in chapters 2 and 3, we see every issue that has ever or will ever confront the church of the Lord Jesus. And then also in the opening of chapter 4, we have seen the progression of the great tribulation. From chapter 4 forward, uh, we see the rise and the fall of the Antichrist. We see the rise and the fall of his political kingdom. We have seen the blessing of God's saints in the marriage supper of the Lamb. We have seen the death of Armageddon's soldiers. Uh, we have seen the binding and the loosing, and the rebellion, and the eternal damnation of Satan. We have seen that he is absolutely arriving in hell for all eternity. Satan, the devil, the serpent, Lucifer, the liar, the accuser of the saints, the tempter of the ages, finally, at the end of Revelation, is encased in hell for all eternity, never to tempt anyone ever again. Chapter 21 
we heard the joyful news of heaven, the new Jerusalem, as the bright and eternal home of the saved. You and I are inheritors of that new home that is absolutely coming for us. And I believe that the disciple John used a great economy of words. When we see the new Jerusalem described in chapter 21, I believe that John uses a very few words to describe the home that you and I are going to share for all eternity. I believe that he used a few words to describe a great glory. And one of the reasons he used a few words is because he knew that if he used all the words and and wrote all the books in the world, he would never be able to completely describe how wonderful, how glorious, how bright, how shining the new Jerusalem is. Now, of course, we know that the new Jerusalem does not need a church building because God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem does not need the sun to shine to make it bright. The light of the new Jerusalem does not come like the sun shines on the earth and lights the earth from another point, but rather the new Jerusalem is lit from the inside because God Almighty is the light of new Jerusalem. And because God is the light of new Jerusalem and God's light never dims, there is no night there. It tells us in the Psalms that God never sleeps. I don't believe we as saints will ever sleep when we're there, uh, and I'm glad for that. I just can't imagine what it will be like to be awake every minute of every eternal day so that we can praise and serve our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Now, tonight, we're going to conclude these blessings of God upon every saved person as we look at chapter 22. So we're going to read it in its entirety. I hope you have your Bible with you. Follow along with me as we hear the conclusion of God's Word in the book of Revelation, written by the disciple John on the island of Patmos. John writes this, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. And they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, And they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, 
For the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of these beautiful parting words from the book of the Revelation. Now, within the New Jerusalem, which is heaven, this is on your sheet, the throne of God and the Lamb have the central position for all to see and for all to adore, the throne of God and the Lamb of God. Now, issuing from that throne of God is a river of the water of life. And that water flows down a central street of God in the New Jerusalem. Uh, Let me correct something that you've probably heard many times in your life, that we're going to walk on streets of gold. Revelation doesn't tell us that there are streets in heaven. It says that there's one street in heaven. And that one street is the one pathway to the throne and the Lamb of God. There are not many streets to get there. There is one street. It is indicative of that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. There is one way to God the Father. There is one street in the new Jerusalem. Now, we've all heard about this water of life that we're reading about in Revelation chapter 22. The river of the water of life that issues from the throne of God in the New Jerusalem. Do you remember, and I'm sure you do, the account of Jesus meeting the woman at the Samaritan well in uh, John's Gospel, chapter 4? And upon speaking to her, Jesus said to this Samaritan woman, This water within this earthly well will quench your thirst for time. 
but you're going to get thirsty again when you drink the water out of this well in the ground. But Jesus said to her, but I give you living water that is welling up to eternal life. Now, I can only imagine as that Samaritan woman comes to the well, she is lost. Of course, you know she's living an immoral lifestyle, and she's coming to the well in the middle of the day. Now, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I've read it along many times that one of the reasons that she came in the middle of the day was because very few people came to the well in the heat of the day, in the middle of the day. So no one was there but Jesus and her. She came at a time she was hiding from the rest of the town. She didn't want to face everybody else in town, but there was one special person waiting for her when she came to the well. And he offered her living water. But can you imagine, she comes to the well to draw water, and he says, I want to give you living water. What does she think of? She thinks of drinking out of a cup of water. And that's the symbolism that Jesus gives to her. That's what we see in the story. But in Revelation chapter 22, that same water of life is not in a cup. It's in an everlasting river of water. The water that runs over the edges of the cup of David in Psalm 23, my cup runneth over, is now a river of living water. So we see the expansion of what we are reading in the Old Testament and the New Testament that now in the New Jerusalem, it's not just a cup. It's a river. It's a river of God that flows from his throne, a river that washes from the inside out, a river that never stops flowing, a river of the power of God's might and glory and grace, a river of the crystal clear promises of God that have been fulfilled in our lives here on earth and will be fulfilled throughout eternity for those who are saved. Now, another major image that we see at the end of Revelation is the tree of life in verse 2, chapter 22. Now, where do we first see the tree of life in the Bible. Well, it's at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. God sets forth the tree of life in the Garden of Eden as a symbol of eternal life for his children, Adam and Eve. But of course, Adam and Eve fall into sin, and God banished them from the garden And he also places cherubim or angels with flaming swords to guard and to separate them from the tree of life. Remember the tree of life had fruit on it and Satan misled Eve and then Adam partook of the fruit and they fell into sin, fell away from the perfection of God, fell into a a lost life. And at that moment, they lost access to the tree of life, the perfect tree of life in the Garden of Eden. God surrounded it so that they could not come to it anymore. He denied access to that tree. Sin brings death and separation from eternal life. That tree of life stands for eternal life. But when they fell into sin, they fell away from the tree, and it was denied to them. Now in Revelation, what we see is the tree of life is restored It was denied in Genesis. It is now restored in Revelation 22. You'll notice that the tree of life, according to the Word of God, is on both sides of the river. No matter which side of the river you're on, you have access to the eternity of the tree of life. Through sin, we lost the tree of life. 
However, through Jesus and through his grace and through our faith, we now can freely touch the tree of life. We freely have access to it in heaven. I also want you to notice at the end of verse 3 of chapter 22 that God's servants will serve him in heaven. God's servants will serve him in heaven. I believe, according to this very simple, brief statement in Revelation 22, that every one of us will have some holy work to do in the new Jerusalem for all eternity. We will have a task. We will have a ministry that we're going to do. God's servants, that's us, we're his servants now, and we will be his servants throughout all eternity. God's servants will serve him eternally in heaven. Yes, heaven is indeed going to be a place of rest. That is true. That is biblical. But I don't believe we're going to float around on a cloud all day. I believe that we will gladly and eternally and tirelessly praise and serve the Savior who gave us life. Now, Revelation chapter 22, verse 4, it tells us that we are going to look our God in the face. Do you remember in Exodus chapter 33, Moses had to hide his face on the mountain when God's glory passed by because God said, man shall not see me and live. God would not allow Moses to see his face on the mountain. Sinful man cannot tolerate looking God's perfection in the face. Truly, God, I believe, saved Moses' life by not allowing him to see his face when he passed by. Because Moses, as a sinful human being, could not tolerate the glory and the perfection and the grace of God as it passed by him as a human being. But in heaven, we're going to see God face to face. And we're going to live eternally. You see, sin has been burned away. All of our unrighteousnesses are now gone. And we're going to be able to look at him because in that moment, we share his perfection. In this particular moment, although we might be saved, we don't share his perfection. But in the new Jerusalem, we will. Right now, we could not look God in the face. But one day, we will because we will share in that perfection of forgiveness. Another point on your sheet, his name will be eternally inscribed in our foreheads, according to verse 4. Remember, Revelation denies Christians to take the mark of the beast. In the, in the great tribulation time, if you remember as we've studied it, the beast, the Antichrist, is going to issue a statement that in order for you to buy or sell, whether it be groceries or homes, in order to hold a job, whatever it is, if you're going to participate in the earth's financial system, you have to have his mark on you. However, God says no believer is to accept the mark of the beast. And it gives a little clarity here as to why we're not to have the mark of the beast. Of course, we don't want to carry that mark throughout all eternity. But also, God says, the reason I don't want you to have the mark of the beast on you is because I'm going to put my mark on you. I'm going to write a name on your foreheads, and I want that spot clean that I'm going to be able to inscribe it on your forehead. 
that is an amazing thought that we're going to be clean and unscarred in order to receive God's name. God is not going to mingle or share His name with any other leader of our life. He is our God. And the Bible teaches us that He is a jealous God. He is our God, and we will not share Him with any other God. He is our God. And so our life and our forehead is to be clean for Him to inscribe His name on us. In heaven, we belong to Him alone. Of course, we are the bride of Christ. Gwen belongs to me alone in these earthly days. And one of these days, you and I as the bride of Christ will belong to Jesus alone throughout all eternity as his bride. Of course, we know that that home, and I love these words, and I've shared them in hundreds of funeral services, in that home, there will be no tears, there will be no pain, there will be no mourning, there will be no cancer, there will be no funerals, there will be no sadness, there will be no remorse in that day. Now, I want you to bear in mind that an angel of God is showing these things to John, revealing them to the disciple John, and he commits a social blunder here, a faux pas. And amazingly, he's done it two times. This is the second time that he commits this blunder. I believe the reason that he commits this uh, this faux pas before the Lord is because he is so overwhelmed by the message that this angel is giving to him. But John falls to worship the angel, the messenger who gives him this message. He did it once in chapter 19, verse 10, and here we see in Revelation 22 that he falls to worship the angel again. He is just overcome with uh, awe. He is overcome with emotion that uh, this message is coming to him, and he just loses it. He forgets what he's doing, I guess, and he falls down as a human being to worship the angel. And the angel says, get up, man. <laughs> You're not to worship me. I am nothing more than a fellow servant. We're serving God together. You're not to worship me. God alone is worthy of our worship. And the angel tells John, get up. I'm not worthy for you to fall before me. And that is truly the key of all of our life. In all that we do, we are to worship God. In every day of our life, in every activity of our day, in every avenue that our day might take us, we are to worship God. We worship God, we worship Him alone. Those are the two blanks on that paper. We worship God, we worship Him alone. And when we do that, all of life fits together. If you would like to write down this reference, it's Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. This takes us back to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But this is what Jesus said within his sermon. And you know these words well, Matthew 6, 33. Jesus says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. When we worship God first of all in our life, when that is our priority, that everything I do in the workplace, in the family, in the church, in recreation, whatever I'm doing, I want to be worshiping God all the while. That's our mindset. That's, that's what gives us meaning and blessing and purpose in that everything that we do is directed as a praise to our God. The writer of Ecclesiastes, he studied life. Remember, he's called the preacher. And the, the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, has studied life, 
And here's the conclusion that he comes to at the end of his book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 13. The end of the matter, he says, this is it. This is the summation of everything I've studied in all of my life. He's looked at education. He's looked at morality. He's looked at relationship. He's looked at family. He's looked at jobs. He's looked at it all. And he said, here's the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Everything we do springs from worshiping God. And if we live in that way, if we live under that key of life, everything in our life will fit together. Now, I'm not telling you that you're going to find a check for a million dollars in your mailbox in the morning. And I'm not telling you that you're never going to have another problem. But I am saying for you and for me, when our life is directed to worshiping and praising God in all that we do, keeping him first, keeping him on the throne of our heart and our life, life will fit together. Life will have purpose. Life will make sense. Life will show us that we can make a difference in this world because we're living for the one who lives for us, who gives us life. So worshiping God is the end of the matter. Revelation chapter 22, verse 10, the angel tells John to leave Revelation open. This is to be an open book. He says, do not seal up these words because people need to hear them. Praise God, these words have not been sealed up. Millions and millions of people have grown in understanding God's blessing through this open book. There is one overarching theme in Revelation, and it is this. It's on your sheet. Jesus alone is worthy. Jesus alone is worthy in our life. That's why it's Revelation, not Revelations. That's the truth. Jesus alone is worthy. According to chapter 22, verses 12 through 15, when we know Jesus as Savior, we readily say, Lord, you are the Alpha and the Omega of every day of mine. Of course, Alpha and Omega, the first and the last uh, letters of the Greek alphabet. Alpha is the A, Omega is the Z. So we say to the Lord every day, Lord, you are the A when I wake up in the morning, and you are my Z when I go to sleep at night. You're the first and the last of everything that I do. My robes of scarlet sin have been washed white by the shed blood of Calvary's lamb. The Lord Jesus is the one who will welcome you and me into heaven. He is the one that gives us blessing through eternity. He's the one that gives us joy throughout our days in the new Jerusalem. What hope revelation gives to the believer in chapter 22. I want you to notice in verse 17, the closing words of the Bible of this book and of the Bible itself, the closing words are an invitation. The Holy Spirit of God invites every man, woman, boy, and girl to the water of life. It is water without price. It is free to us. It was purchased at tremendous price on the old rugged cross, but it's free to anyone who will partake of that living water. We have no right no desire, no desire to bar any person from these doors because Revelation says the church's message to every person in this world is to come. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to the living water. And that living water should be available to anyone who comes to these doors. 
We will not see the words go away in Revelation, and we should never hear those words in the church body. Anyone who comes seeking Jesus is welcome to that living water that they will find in this place. Whoever is thirsty for a drink from the well is welcome here. Do I hear an amen? Amen. How true. Look at verses 18 and 19. Here is a warning not to tamper with this written word of God on your sheet. It's a warning not to tamper with this written word of God in Revelation. Yes, this has been a hard study. And I can tell you from this vantage point of this pulpit that I have not covered every point. I have not brought out every truth. This book is such a deep well. We could study it, restudy it. I could start over next week on chapter one and go through and we would learn a whole new set of truths as we move through Revelation again. I know that we haven't studied everything about the book, but I've tried not to exclude any verse in these 38 sermons for fear of taking away from the book. Because if you look at that end, the punishment is severe for anyone who takes away from the truth of this book. And I believe that not only does that speak for the book of Revelation, but I also believe that that speaks for the entirety of the Bible. We who stand behind the pulpit and we who teach Sunday school are not to teach just the sweet parts but we're to teach all the parts of God's Word. We're not to take any word away from God's Word. If we do that, we risk damage and deception to God's people. So we offer this study to God as pure and holy before Him. You know, the the Bible, uh, in preaching it now almost 32 years in this one pulpit and a couple years before I got here, the Bible is such a deep well of divine knowledge We'll never get to the bottom of it. One of these days, I believe we will know it perfectly when we're in this new Jerusalem. But in God's sovereign wisdom, he places Genesis as the first book of the Bible, and he places Revelation as the last book of the Bible. And here we see God's true nature of love and salvation at work. In Genesis, we have the creation of the first heaven and the first earth. In Revelation, we see the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. In Genesis, we see paradise lost through sin. In Revelation, we see heaven's gates opened to any believer who comes to living water. In Genesis, we see Adam and Eve driven away from the tree of life. In Revelation, we see all people invited freely to have access to the tree of life. In Genesis, we see the first Adam and his wife, Eve. And in Revelation, we see the last Adam and his wife, the church. In Genesis, Satan appears for the first time. In Revelation, Satan appears for the last time. In Genesis, we see the beginning of regret and sorrow in lostness. In Revelation, we hear the words, death will be no more, and all tears will be wiped away. Friends, we gather as a church to witness the words of Jesus, Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, as he says, Surely I come quickly. Or he also, you can hear that, I am coming soon. I'm coming quickly. I'm coming soon. I'm coming with very little to no warning whatsoever. We know that we labor 
and we are faithful until the master returns. I believe that it is highly, highly possible as we see revelation fulfilled, as we've seen Daniel's study going through and all the prophecy that's been fulfilled in the Bible, I believe that we truly are in the end times. I believe that we're seeing things that right now exist that could never be seen even 25 years ago. For example, the two witnesses who die on the streets uh, in the days of the great tribulation. And it says when they rise from the dead that all the world beholds them. How could that have happened until media is where it is today? I don't think that could even have happened 25 years ago, but it can happen now. I believe that the stage is set for Jesus to return. It is possible, highly possible, that it could be within our lifetime. And when he comes... We will see his glory, and we will honor him, and we will thank him for his grace and his shining splendor. And when he comes, every knee is going to bow. Every knee of believers and unbelievers alike will bow to the King, Jesus Christ. Every tongue, saved and unsaved, will confess that Jesus is Lord. And our ministry today is focused on those people inside here and outside of these doors who have never come to Christ as Lord and Savior. We want people to bow to Jesus as believers, as those who are saved, those who know his name, so that they will never have to cower in regret before him one day. Our message is real. Our message is needed. Our message is modern. This is the most important thing we do as we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And our task stands before us inside and outside of these sanctuary doors. So we say together tonight, just as John said, come, Lord Jesus. Come when your divine time is exactly right. But when you come, our prayer is that you will find us busy, that you will find us ministering, that we'll be doing your will that will be working in this tired, sin-sick world. We want to stand by that river of life one day, but we want to finish our race in this place and finish it well before we get there. Tonight, if you've never received Jesus as Savior, I want you to hear these words of Revelation 22. He invites you to this water. He says, come, whosoever will, whosoever will receive me as Savior is invited to this living water, is invited to live for me, is invited to heaven with me as your Savior. If you've never received him, tonight is the night for you to do that. Maybe one of these days, maybe months, maybe even years after this sermon has been preached on this night, you might be listening to this CD. The invitation is open to you. If you've never received him, he is waiting for you to come. Whosoever will will be welcome before the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Tonight, if if you would come and stand before a little altar of God, you will never stand before the great white throne, the great white altar of God, because that's the altar of judgment. The very last words of Revelation are an invitation, and they certainly are for you tonight if you've never come to Christ as Savior. For God's people, in this book of Revelation, we forever shall be his people. We forever shall be his servants. And we serve him now, and one day in heaven, it says, his servants will continue to serve him for all eternity. Praise God. Praise God for his promises, and praise God that he loves us. And all God's people said,